Yeah, we are uh, we are in First Kings uh, today. We'll, we start chapter nineteen, and um, as as Holly mentioned um, a minute ago, uh, we get into a very very um, deep part of Elijah's life. Um, we get into a into a moment in Elijah's life that we get to kind of pull back uh, the the veil for a minute and, and see what's happening in his heart. Um, and what we see in Elijah's heart is something that I think a lot of us experience in this life. Um, it's something that a lot of us experience in, in, in our world and in our culture. Um, and, it's, and, and we're going to look at today what happens to Elijah after this mountaintop moment, right? After fire has been called down, after uh, the prophets of Baal have been defeated, after the rain comes and the drought is over, right? We, we, we kind of pull back the layers, and, and, and we get to a very unexpected place. Um, we get to a very serious topic today, one that um, we probably won't have a whole lot of jokes uh, and lighthearted humor today. Today we're going to be talking about depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, all of these very, very real uh, and important topics. And these are all things that um, I'm convinced that as, as the church we need to be talking about, right? And I'm convinced of that because it's a part of our culture, it's a part of our world, Right, and and if the church is the hope, is the light of the world, we can't be a very very bright light if we just kind of sweep these things under the rug and we don't talk about them. That's why I love that we get to go through uh, the account, the story of Elijah. We just get to see this play out in his life. Um, I was looking at a few statistics this week, um, and and the reason I think this is so important is because of what I found. It said that one in five people, right? So one in five of us. Uh, in the West, will experience a mental illness crisis this year alone. Um, over the course of our lifetime, 46.4%, almost half of us, will experience some sort of, some sort of mental, uh, mental health illness um, or crisis in our lifetime. So essentially half of us will experience this. So this is something we need to be talking about, right? Um, suicide is the number two cause of death among 10 to 34-year-olds. And suicide is on the rise 31% since 2001. This is real. This is part of our world, part of our culture. And the church needs to talk about this. We need to talk about it because I believe, I honestly believe that we have the greatest solution, the greatest answer to all of these problems. Um, Also realize that this is important because this is something that I've walked through. right? I, I know what it's like. I've walked through personally the experience of anxiety and worry to the point of like just not feeling like you're yourself anymore. I know what it's like to come home and just want to, to exit reality and just tune in to turn off, the, turn off the mind and just kind of dumb out to something that's on TV so I don't have to worry about what's happening in my life. I've been there. This is important, and it's real. And as the church, we need to talk about it. That's what we're going to do today. So we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 19. And as we turn the page to chapter 19... Um, the story is going to kind of go in a very unexpected way, right? So after all that had happened in chapter 18, after all the victories that we had seen um, God do through Elijah, we get to chapter 19. And I think for a lot of us, had we not read it, we would have expected a few things to happen. We would have expected Ahab, the king, right, after he'd seen that Baal had been defeated, we would have expected him, right, to repent, to be repentant in his heart and to change his ways, but that's not what we see. We would expect Jezebel to admit that her God was false, but that's not what we see. And and I think the greatest expectation is we would have expected Elijah, this man of great courage and strength, right, 
when when see, when he sees opposition again, we would we would expect him to face it with courage again, but that's not what we find. It's very unexpected. And so let's look at the context a little bit. Uh, let's look at the first couple of verses, uh, verse one and two. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do for me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of, one of them by this time tomorrow. Right? So as we open up the page, um, what's happening in the scene? Well, Ahab goes back, right? Remember last week we talked about how um, Elijah ran ahead of him, right? Uh, foot race, beat the chariot, shows up. Ahab gets there, right? And he goes to, to Jezebel, and he tells her what happened on the mountain, right? And commentators tell us that this was probably pretty surprising because in this moment, right, Jezebel probably probably suspected that maybe, that maybe Baal had won, right? Because from her perspective, she hadn't seen what had happened, and all of a sudden the drought was over and the rain, and so she thought maybe her God, right, the God of weather, had won. And so imagine her surprise when her husband, the king, rolls up in there and is like, hey, not only did, did Baal lose, but also your prophets, you know, all your buddies that you've been hosting at your table and taking care of that you've had on the payroll, Elijah killed them all, right? In this moment, he's, I, can, I can just picture Ahab just kind of like pointing the finger at Elijah. And so her expectations were down. And, and so how does she respond? Well, she, she sends a messenger to Elijah to say, you know what? I promise you that, that your life is going to end the same way that my prophets did, right? And that's the context that we, that we, that we get into today. And so what we're going to look at is, is really Elijah's response to this moment. And we're going to make a couple of observations, and then we're going to go back and look at how Elijah got here, because I think that's important to look at as well, right? Elijah ends up in a very, very dark and deep place. And so we're going to, we're going to see, we're going to make a couple observations of what he did, and then we're going to go back and look at why he ended up there. The first observation that we're going to notice today is that the word of people can be louder than the word of God, right? That's what happened to Elijah. Look at verse 3. So, so Elijah just got the message. Here's what it says. Then he, Elijah, was afraid, and he rose and he ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there, right? So, so I think first thing we have to realize um, before we get into Elijah's story is just to realize that words matter, right? Uh, we've all heard the saying as kids, probably sticks and stones can break my bones, but what? Words will never hurt. Words will never hurt me. That's just not true, right? Words do hurt, right? Words hurt a lot, and they they hold a lot of meaning. I really like what uh, what Jack Schaefer says about words. Um, I think we have a quote there from him. Yeah. Well, here we go. Thank you. Um, here's what he says. He says, words cannot change reality, but they can change how people perceive reality. Words create filters through which people view the world around them. Isn't that true? Like, like there's nothing we can say that's actually going to change the reality of the world around us. But the power of words is it changes the way we perceive the reality around us. And so the influence of words speak heavy they speak a lot. The Bible is, is very clear in, in multiple places about the power of words. And I'm just going to kind of spitball a few of these out this morning. But like in Proverbs 18, Solomon tells us to, that the tongue can either be used for life or death. He says in Proverbs 12 that 
that the wise would use the tongue to bring healing. In Colossians, Paul encourages us to, that our speech would be gracious and seasoned with salt. Right? Words matter. Right? And that's exactly what happened. Notice, it's not even Jezebel that comes to Elijah to tell him this, right? It's a messenger that tells Elijah this. And just the power of the words that Jezebel said is enough to rock Elijah's world. I think sometimes in our life that sometimes the words of people get so loud in our ears, we have a really hard time hearing the truth of the word of God. Right? So what happens? Well, it says that Elijah was afraid. He was afraid, Right? This is, not a, this is not a term we hear a lot in correlation to Elijah. He lost his perspective. The short-term victory that he, that he saw on Mount Carmel, right, didn't promise that he had won the battle. He still had an opponent, right? Um, Jezebel was still out to get him. And I think what he did was what we do a lot of times is sometimes we let our guard down in that moment, right? We let our, we let our guard down. And we have to realize that every single day we must rely on God. So he lost his perspective. He lost, he lost that. And so it says he was afraid. He also lost sight of God. It's kind of interesting that word there that's, that uh, in verse 3 that's translated afraid can also be translated saw. Um, so, so to say it another way is that Elijah took his sight off of God and put it onto his situation. And then that caused him to run away. And I think, that, I think that can happen to us so many times in our life, right? I think about that moment where um, Jesus is, is out and, and he calls Peter to come out and walk on the water with him, right? And what, is, what does the Bible tell us? Peter did what? He lost sight of Jesus, right? He, he, he looked at the wind and the waves around him and he started to what? He started to sink, right? And I think that's so true in our lives that when, when things hit us and, and whether that's the words of people or just the weight of life hits us, and we take our sight off of Jesus, we take our, our focus off the word of God, we too start to sink, and we start to, to run away, and we start to allow fear to well up in our lives. And this dude didn't just like go for a casual stroll. As we've kind of seen, Elijah was a runner, right? And so what we, we get from the text here is that he ran to this place called uh, Beersheba, right? Which belongs to Judah. Now, now we've been talking a lot about Ahab, right? And Ahab was the king of which part? Divided the kingdom, the northern kingdom. Yeah, very good, right? And so Judah is the southern. southern kingdom, right? So this joker ran as far away. And what we know from from scripture is that Beersheba was the southernmost tip of the land of Judah. And so this dude literally ran as far away as he possibly could. Some commentators give it as much as eighty miles away. <clears throat> And then we find out in the next verse that he goes even further than that. Because he lost his sight on God. I think I'm reminded of, of James 5 that tells us that, that Elijah was a man just like us. We've talked about that several times throughout this. And I think that that's such, a, such an important reminder is that in the same way that when we lose sight of God, when we take our focus off of him, right? that we start to sink, that we start to run away, and we start to let fear well up and run in our life. And so what do we do, right? What do we do in those moments when the, when the voice of people and the words of people are so loud in our ears and we don't hear God anymore, right? In that moment, we have to choose. Um, we have to choose. Uh, Stephen Furtick said this. I think this is really brilliant. Um, which I don't say a whole lot, but this is very brilliant. He says, the voice you believe will determine the future you experience. And I think that's so true in our life. 
right? When we choose to listen to the words of people, just like Elijah did for Jezebel, right? We're going to be fearful and we're going to run. It's going to sink us into a very dark and deep place. But yet when we choose to listen to the words of God, the truth of the word of God, then we stand strong in the moment. So let's look at that. What is the word of God, right? The, the word of God, that's, that's what Elijah should have ran to. But he lost his commitment to follow God. How many times have we seen in, in Elijah's story so far that it said the word of the Lord came to Elijah? And then what does Elijah do? What does he do? It's not a trick question. He obeys, right? It's like multiple times, probably, I don't know, 20 times so far in, in, in our story, just in two, in two chapters. It said the word of the Lord came to Elijah, right? And Elijah just does whatever it is, right? But notice here, when Elijah runs away, it doesn't say the word of the Lord came to Elijah, right? Elijah is allowing this moment to take over, and Elijah just runs away on his own, right? We saw in the very beginning of Elijah's story where God told him to run away. You guys remember that in chapter 17, where he tells him, go tell Ahab, and then go run into the wilderness? This is not what happens here. This is Elijah choosing to listen to the words of people and not listen to the word of God. Tony Marita said it this way. He says, if you aren't in God's word, the question isn't whether you will drift away from God's will, but when and how far you will wander. Yeah. Right? And if we think back through our lives, how many times, right? I, I, would, I would go so far to, to guess that the times that we were the furthest away from the will of God was also the times we were the furthest away from the word of God. Yeah. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Right? Is that true in our lives? Right? Why? Why is that true? Well, the word of God, like we get in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Right? What does it tell us? That it's living and active, right? That it that it's, should actively be a part of our life. It says that it's sharper than two-edged sword, piercing through the division of soul and spirit, of joint and of marrow. And notice this last part, in discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. There's something about when we can read the word of God that's living and active. And we bring our worries and we bring our fears to the word of God, but yet when we can read the truth of, the God, of, of God's word, that it has a way of just cutting through all of that, all of those lies, through all of those fears, through all of those emotions. Psalm 119, 105 tells us that the word of God is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path, right? When we are in the darkest valleys of life, we need that light in our path. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that the word of God is, is literally breathed out by God, right? And so we need to use it in our lives. So this is the point uh, in our time this morning that I'd like us just to press pause for a minute. And I want us to have a little bit of discussion, okay? Um, I want us to have a little bit of discussion because as important as it is for you guys to hear this, I think it's more important for us to actually engage in this. And so here's the question I want us to engage with first this morning. How have you experienced God's word, uh, I'm sorry, people's word being louder than God's word? Like in your daily life, how have you experienced what people say in moments seem to, to, to drown out the truth of what God says to you? So, so let's get in a couple of groups of people around you, um, groups of four or five people around you, um, and let's talk about that for a couple minutes, and we're going to come back uh, and notice this uh, second issue that Elijah was facing. It's not you. All right, guys, let's, uh, let's bring it back together. Let's circle it back up. Um, and and I, don't, I don't think I, I probably have to spend a whole lot of time convincing us that the words of, the words of people matter. Uh, one of the things we were talking about in our, in our little group up here was just the fact that how 
um, how much the words um, of people influence our thoughts and the way that we behave and behaviors. And we were talking about um, we were talking about how high school is such a such a great picture of that. Um, when you see like groups in high school and how um, you have a group of people who say they all want to be unique and individuals, but yet they walk around and they all dress the same, talk the same, act the same, go to the same things, right? Um, it's the influence of people, and so sometimes when that when that influence, when that word, when those words are negative, they can have a great effect on us. Now we also need to realize in the church, like the opposite is true as well. When we're around brothers and sisters who are encouraging us and spurring us on in our faith to follow Jesus closer, that can also grow our faith um, and continue to, to help us to walk closer to Jesus. But Elijah was experiencing the words of people more than he was hearing the words of God. But secondly, secondly, we see that these dark emotions right, can sometimes be louder than the truth. So we see in verse 4 what it says it says but he himself elijah went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree and he asked that he might die saying is it enough now O lord take away my life for i am no better than my father's do you, do you like do you hear that dark emotion just in his words in his response to god right like like he says things like it's enough it's enough how many of you guys have been in that place before in your life where you've just been like, man, it's enough? Any of you that have kids, you better raise your hand, right? Like we, see, I got a joke in there, right? Um, mom, that doesn't count. That's the negative thing you have in your mom in the service because you know who she's talking about, yeah. Um, right? I think we've all probably been there. I think for many of us, we've, we've got to that place in life where we've said, man, this is more than I can carry. It's enough. I'm just, I'm, I'm ready to throw my hands up. I can't carry it anymore. And yet we need to be reminded that it's not ours to say it's enough, but it's the giver of life that tells us when we've had enough. Charles Spurgeon, great pastor, uh, he said it this way. He said, it is God alone who knows when we have had, when we have done enough and enjoyed enough, but we do not know. I think what a solid reminder today, right? Sometimes in our perspective, the way we look at the world, we think that we know when we've had enough. But yet in that moment, it's not always us, it's, it's God. And so, but, but we see here Elijah that he even lost his desire to live, right? He, he threw his hands up and he said, it's enough, God. Will you just, just take my life, right? Now, thankfully, God didn't answer his request in this moment, right? Reminds me of that Garth Brooks song. <laughs> um, Thank God for unanswered prayers, you know? Like, this is one of the great ones, right? Because what would he have missed? Elijah would have missed some incredible things had God answered this request. He would have missed... The, the chariots of fire and the whirlwind and, and to see the hand of God move. So God didn't answer his request. And I think what we need to realize and lean into in this moment is that Elijah is not the only man in Scripture, the only person in Scripture that felt this way. Moses, right? Moses certainly felt this way. Um, I, think about, I think about Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, right? He got to that point. I think about Jonah, even as we read this, Right? And I bet maybe to, to one degree or another that you felt that way as well, right? Felt like it's just, honestly, it's too much. And, and, and I just want to say, first of all, like, if you're there um, this morning within this community of faith, like, like, this is what we're here for. I don't want you to feel like this is, church is not to ostracize or say, you know what, you, you're messed up or, or whatever. I want you to know that we're here for you if you ever felt that way. 
Um, in fact, I believe that's one of the beautiful things that God created the church to be. Yeah. In those moments where he said, you know what, I can't go on anymore for, for brothers and sisters to come alongside of you and lift you up. Like, I, I honestly believe that's, that's one of the major parts of the church of the body. And so what do we do in those moments? Right? What do we do in those moments when our heart, when our emotion within us just tells us that I can't carry this anymore, I can't do it anymore? I think we need to, just saying, let your, let your head lead your heart in those moments. I think that's just really wise, wise advice. Let your head lead your heart. And what I, what I mean by that, what, what's meant by that is in those moments when I can't trust my emotions, I need to go back to what I know is true. Right? When my emotions are telling me one thing, but yet what I know to be true is telling me something else, I need to go with what I know to be true. And so what is truth? How do we know what is true? Jesus, as he always does, teaches us and, and leads us into some important understanding on this. In John chapter 8, 31 and 32, Jesus says this. He says, he's talking to a group of Jews that had believed in him. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Right? In this moment, a couple things that's important to realize. One, he says, if you abide in my word. Right? That word abide literally means to stay in the truth. Right? Even when I don't feel it, and that's the hardest part, right? Because typically what happens, right? We get rocked by the wind and the ways of life, and what is the first thing we abandon? The truth. Right? We abandon the word of God. But Jesus says that if you're my disciples, right? If, if, if you want to know the truth, you need to abide in my word. You need to abide. You need to stay rooted. Stay in my word. And if you do that, then he says you're going to know the truth. You're going to know those things in, in, in the world and in life that are true and those things that are a lie. Right? Because the more that we soak in the word of God, the more it soaks into us, the more we're able to tell what is truth and what is lie. And from knowing the truth, then when we know what is true, then we start to have the freedom from the bondage of those lies in our life. We're truly set free when we can come to the word of God and we can allow our head, the things that we know to be true, to lead our heart, those emotions that we don't always know to be true. So I want to take a, a minute kind of with that, with that mindset of knowing the truth and just kind of talk about a few truths that we need to know as well. Um, and this is specifically like for, for those that have felt that, you know what, I can't go on anymore and life's just not worth living, right? That I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking about throwing in the towel and giving up. I just want to remind you of a few truths um, today because it's important that we know these. Uh, first and foremost, I want to remind you that God is the giver and the taker of life. Right? He's the one that gives life, and he's the one that takes life. Um, secondly, I want to remind you that God has a plan for you and wants to use you. Um, I think one of the lies that we tell ourselves in that moment is that, you know what, I'm not useful to anybody. Right? We get in a headspace, and, and our minds get into a place where we say, you know what, I'm not useful. I'm, the world is better off without me. And let me tell you that the world needs you. God has a plan that he wants to use you for. And he wants to, to use you to shape this world. And, and the truth of the matter is the world needs you as well. There are people that, that God has put you in their life to be a light to. And if you weren't there, that light wouldn't shine in their life. 
I would also remind you of the truth that, go back to the last one, I'm sorry. Um, I jumped ahead. Um, not only does God have a plan for you and wants to use you, but people in this world need you, right? I also want to remind you within that, that as the church, it's the community of faith, like we need you as well. Do you know the Bible describes the church as a body, right? And it says that even though the body has many different members and they don't all have the same function, they're all important. And so as the church body, just to be reminded in those moments that we can't be the body of Christ that we've called to be without you. We need you. You're part of us. You help us to function as the body. It would be like us, me trying to walk, around, walk along and with my leg chopped off. You know? The body, we need you. And sometimes we can buy into the lie that, man, the world would just be better off without me and that I don't, no one needs me. But let me just remind you that the world does, the world does need you. And then lastly, let me just remind you, finally, of this truth and that Jesus is better. No matter how dark that moment is that you're going through, no matter how deep you are in the midst of it, Jesus is so much better. Friends, let me just tell you, he's so much better. Again, Charles Spurgeon seems to be the guy that I, that I hung on to this week, um, which, isn't a bad, which isn't a bad person to, to quote a lot from. But he says this, he says, I find myself frequently depressed, perhaps more so than any other person here. And if I find no better cure for that depression than to trust in the Lord with all my heart and to seek to realize afresh the power of the peace-speaking blood of Jesus and his infinite love in dying upon the cross to put away all my transgressions. Right? Like, like how much do we need to be reminded of that sometimes? Right? How much do we need to be reminded that Jesus loved us that much? Right? And, and in that blood that he's so much better than whatever that, that thing is that we're going through in the moment. And that's not to make light. I know there are heavy things. And I know that some of you guys have walked through things that I'll never experience. And so I don't want to speak to a place that I've never experienced. But I just want to let you know that Jesus is better. And the more I can remind myself of truths like that from his word, the more that I can start to allow those, those truths to lead my life and not just to be influenced by my emotions. Just what I want to do. Let's take a couple more minutes. I want us to talk about... Um, have you ever experienced your emotions, a time where your emotions have misled you? Um, just remember, we got a couple of minutes, so share really quick stories. I'm sure we probably all have multitudes of stories that we can share where our emotions have misled us, right? But, but get together with your group and just discuss, like, has there been a time when you have seen that happen in your life? And we're going to come back together and see what happens, uh, see why Elijah got to this place, okay? All right, guys, let's, uh, <coughs> let's bring it back together because um, as important as, as it is uh, for us to understand like what, uh, what Elijah was experiencing here and, and to be able to identify with that, um, I think there's also maybe a few practical things that we can take from Elijah's life maybe that can help us understand why he got here because um, that's important too, right, is understanding what, what led up to Elijah being in this place where he would sit under a tree and say, God, I, I, it's enough. I'm just... Take my life now. I can't. I can't handle this anymore. Right. Um, so this is probably a little bit more on the practical side of things, um, but still very important. Um, and the first one of those is to realize that Elijah was drained, right? Physically, emotionally, and spiritually, this guy was just exhausted. Uh, physically, he had been on the run for like three years, right? Hiding out from the from the king and the queen, eating like bread and water, and having you know, Raven's air bomb and food to him, right? Like, that had been his life. Like, like that, that for, for three and a half years. 
Um, we also realized that, you know, last week after, uh, after the victory on Mount Carmel, right, where, when the king goes and eats at the kingly buffet, right, what does Elijah do? He goes and prays, right? So he's, he's not really eaten. He's ran. He ran to Jezreel, which was like 17 miles, and now we found out this week that he's ran like another 80 miles, and then he goes another day in the, in the wilderness. Some people said that that could be up to, up to like 300 miles. This dude is just physically exhausted, right? And, and I think what we pick up on Scripture is that, that there, there's, some, there's a lot of truth in that sometimes, is when we allow ourselves to get physically drained, it can also have a big response on our emotions and our thought life. Right? I mean, there's places, um, I think about, there's a place in Mark 6, um, 30-31, where Jesus, uh, after his disciples had been out uh, doing ministry and casting out demons, he said, let's retreat to this deserted place and rest. It's the reason that in Genesis 1, God institutes a day of rest. Right? Because as human beings, like, we wear out. And a lot of times that we're not in a good headspace because physically we're drained and and maybe for some of us today like the most practical thing we can do the most spiritual thing we can do is just get some rest mm-hmm. some physical rest because I, I know in my life that those times that I'm the, the most sleep deprived and the most exhausted I often make the worst decisions Things seem bigger than they are. Yeah. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? And so he was physically, he was emotionally drained. I mean, just imagine the roller coasters that he had been on, right? Um, I'm sure he had all of these expectations of what would happen after this moment on Mount Carmel. And then he gets, he comes to find out that those didn't happen. A lot of times we're most vulnerable at the top of the mountain, right? After we've had that mountaintop experience, right? We are the most vulnerable. And so we see that with Elijah. And then just spiritually, like he had been in a spiritual battle um, this whole time. And he really had nothing left to do. Um, I love the words that Wayne Cordero said. He said this. He said, those whose vocation is all about giving out are wearing out. He says, the only way to finish strong will be to first replenish your system if you don't prepare for a crash. And I know for a lot of us in this room, like like our vocation, the thing that we spend our time doing and our energy and God's called us to do is invest in other people. And that can be very wearing. That can, that can wear us down. And the truth of the matter is that sometimes we can invest so much in other people if we don't replenish ourselves that then we end up crashing ourselves. And so he was, he was drained. He was running on empty. He was, he was disappointed. He was disappointed, right? No doubt Elijah thought that a revival would come to God's people after they saw Baal being defeated on Mount Carmel, right? But he gets down, and that's just not the case. It was just kind of a momentary, um, oh, yay, God. And then the people went back to what they were doing before. Proverbs uh, 13, verse 12. This is one of my favorite verses in Scripture. It's just, it just speaks to so much of where I am in my life so many times. But it says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick, right? When we hope in something and then that doesn't happen, when we get disappointed, it makes our heart sick, wears us out. But a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. I think that's what we see happening to Elijah is that he had hoped this thing would happen and it didn't. But also Elijah isolated himself. Look there in verse 3, when, he's, when he runs to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, he left his servant there. And I think that happens to us a lot as well, right? Like in those moments that we are just drained and we're exhausted and we're feeling at the lowest, right? Instead of bringing in people that are going to speak truth into our life, that are going to encourage us, what do we do? We isolate ourselves, right? And we start to believe lies like, 
like nobody cares about me and, and, and the world you know, hates me and all of these sort of things, right? But the truth of the matter is God didn't create us to be alone, right? That's why he created things like the church and the body to be together. So it's important that we realize that if we don't address these issues in our life, we in the same way can end up in the same place that Elijah ended up. Um, here's what I want to do. We're going to pause one more time um, because I think this is so important for so, so many of us. I think there are probably a lot of us in this room right now that can probably say, I check off three, four of those triggers right now. I am emotionally, physically, spiritually drained. I'm disappointed. I'm isolated, right? And that's not a healthy place for us to be, right? If we if we acknowledge that we're in that place, like we need to seriously think about the trajectory of, of where our life is headed and like where we're heading toward. Um, so let's just take a couple more minutes and let's just talk about that for just a minute. What, what are those triggers? What are those things that Elijah was experiencing do you see in your life? Are you drained physically, emotionally, spiritually? Are you disappointed? Are you isolated? And if you have time after that, maybe if you are a lot of those things, what are, what are some things that you can do uh, to work toward, uh, toward being more healthy in those areas? All right, so let's just take, we'll just take a couple more minutes to talk about that, um, and then we're going to wrap up with one last thought. Okay. All right, guys, we're uh, <clears throat> going to wrap that conversation up. Um, as always, um, you know, and, and I, again, shameless plug for life, life groups. Um, obviously, this is this is real life, and so we um, that's why we have these groups that meet throughout the week, that we can encourage each other and talk more in detail about these things. Um, and that's it. Again, that's just a very practical way. If you struggle with things like isolation and and disappointment, like to be able to have a group that meets throughout the week to encourage you. Um, I can't tell you how many times on Thursday nights, like if I'm just being really honest, that I've been like, oh, people are coming over. I really just could be alone. Wish I would be alone. And every single time when they leave, I'm like jacked up. I'm like I'm feeling so much better. I'm encouraged. Um, Tom will stay till like midnight and we'll hang out and it's uh, you know all that good stuff. And I'm just so like I'm so jacked that a lot of times like it takes me a while to come back down after that. Um, but it is so important for us to have community and people around us. Um, I want to go back to. Uh, to a guy that I quoted earlier, uh, a guy named Tony Morita, he says this. He says, he asked these questions. Are you drained? Are you disappointed? Are you isolated? Are you believing half-truths that trigger feelings of self-righteousness and self-pity and self-importance? said, what we need is this, a heavy dose of grace and truth that are in Jesus. Amen. And that's really the application for us today is that when we find ourselves in these places, Either when we find ourselves drained and disappointed and isolated or we find ourselves believing the words of people um, or believing these dark emotions, we don't need a, we don't need a lot of things that the world offer, offers us. Um, so, and let me just pause on that before I, before I say something I don't mean to say. Some of those things are really helpful. And so if, if, if we are in a place um, where we're really struggling and we're really having some of those deep, dark emotions, like there's absolutely nothing wrong with going and seeking counsel, seeking therapy, seeking people that God has gifted to encourage us in those ways and help us walk through that. I can honestly tell you, I mean, there are people out there that just God has just blessed them and gifted them in ways of helping people walk through those dark emotions that I can never do. Even as a pastor, like that's that's just not my not, not my gifting in that way. And so um, I, I just want to say there there is nothing shameful. There is nothing wrong. In fact, as a church, we, we should be encouraging people that are struggling with that. Um, but at the same point, we also need to be reminded that there's incredible hope in Jesus, and that's really our application. 
No matter what we walk through, no matter what the valley, no matter what the, the mountaintop is that we're experiencing, right? Um, Jesus is enough and there's hope in him, right? That's why we wanted to include verse 5 in here because we didn't want to end the day on just like this very negative downward uh, perception. But in verse 5, there's a glimmer of hope. Here's what happens. And he, Elijah, lay down and slept under a broom tree. Some of you guys need to go home and just practice that. Go home and sleep. Heath, go home and sleep. Um, write that down in your journal, right? Um, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And I think what's encouraging here is to realize that the Lord provided for his physical needs. He gave him rest and something to eat, something to drink, right, to replenish him. For his emotional and spiritual needs, I mean, think about how encouraging that must have been to Elijah, that even in the midst of him running away, right, and, and, and wanting to give up, that yet God in his gracious mercy still sends an angel, right? Still sends, still sends a messenger of hope, a beacon of hope. But from all that, God also provides our greatest hope, which is in Jesus, right? I love, I love how D.A. Carson puts it. He says, um, he says this. I've heard this uh, several different people, but I like, like how he puts this together. He says, um, if God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent us an economist. If he perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If he perceived that our greatest need uh, was political stability, he would have sent us a politician. If he had perceived that our greatest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, and our death. And so he sent us a savior. And I think that's the hope that we walk out in today, right? Um, is that even though things may seem dreary and dark and heavy, that we serve a savior who can carry all of that, right? And he has. He carried all that to Calvary for us. He's already done that business for us, and so we just put our trust and hope in him and daily meet and commune with him. I think that's a, a big part of the, the process. Um, maybe our lives can say, as the psalmist says in Psalm 42, verse 5, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Right? And I would encourage you this week, um, kind of the challenge I have for us this week um, is to spend some time this week and read the entirety of, excuse me, of Psalm 42. Um, read the entirety of Psalm 42. Um, let it be an encouragement to your, to your heart and to your soul. Let it be an encouragement to you as you think about your life and you think about the things that we carry and the heaviness of life. Let it be a hope that guides you this week uh, and points us closer and closer to Jesus, okay? Um, and so we're going to wrap up with that today um, on that idea of hope and the hope that we have. And next week, we're actually going to finish this passage um, and see how God interacts with Elijah. And we're going to uh, really take a look at when you're in those dark moments, right? How do we adjust our perception? Because that's really what, uh, what God does for Elijah uh, coming out of this moment is he just gives him a perception adjustment. But this morning, I just want us to say as well, as we, as we conclude, uh, Ross and Holly are going to come up and lead us um, in one last song. Um, but as we do that, I just want to just remind us that that's what church is for. And so if any of you guys are carrying that today and you just you need somebody to, to talk to about that, um, I'm here. I'm always here for you guys. That's, that's, my, that's my role um, as the shepherd of this flock is just to be here and to walk with you through that. Uh, also ask Holly if she'd be available afterwards as well. She's had a lot of experience um, walking with people through a lot of these things and her involvement in Young Life and leading 
teens and stuff. Um, and so I just want to let you know that like there are people here to talk to today. Uh, if you just want somebody to pray with, um, all of that is available this morning. Um, but as we come together, as we sing, um, we lift our voices. Let's just sing our praises to the God uh, who loves us, who cares about us. And no matter what we're going through, we're never too far gone. We're never too far away, right? We put our hope in Jesus. So let's pray, and then Ross and Holly's going to come and lead us in that last song. Father, thank you for today. God, we are truly grateful um, that there are passages in your word, like 1 Kings 19, where we see that people who are godly followers of you still struggle, still go through hard things in life, and still struggle with the emotions and the words of life and people. God, we thank you for the hope and encouragement that we find. God, we thank you that uh, in Jesus, God, we find the answer to all of life's issues and problems. God, we also thank you for people that you put in our lives. God, we thank you for brothers and sisters in Christ that walked with us. God, we thank you for gifting people like therapists and counselors and doctors and uh, mental health workers, God, that can help when, when things in life are, are heavy and deep. And God, I pray as a people that we would never be too proud to, to get the, the help that we need and we would in humility walk in that, Father. At the same time, God, we just, uh, we just want to exalt Jesus for what, for what he's done in our lives, for who he is. And so, God, as we sing this last song and we just lift our voices up today, God, may you receive the glory from it. May you be honored from that in our time together, God. We love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.